Hi, I'm Christopher Rawlings, and I'm with Howard Diamond. We are both actors with Open Door Productions, a film and theater production company. And we're doing a video film discussion series. Uh, we call it Movies That Matter. And we're reviewing some, some classic or some um, very well done, just very well crafted movies that deal with social, political issues um, that relate to things that are going on in today's, today's society, especially in America, as well as around the world. And the film that we're going to be talking about now is a film called Mate Wan. And this was filmed in 1987. Do I have that right, Howard? That's correct. And uh, it's a historical film that takes place in West Virginia in 1920 and deals with uh, the oppression, uh, the tragedies, the struggles of the, uh, the mine workers in West Virginia against the, uh, the mining companies. Um, and it's a really, really well-acted movie. Um, we've both seen this, I think, you know, numerous times. And the more that we watch it, I think the more that we enjoy it, which I think is a, is a great compliment to, to films that become timeless and they're so well done. So let me introduce Howard Diamond. Howard, why don't you uh, share a few things before we look at some clips? Well, thank you, Christopher. And the first thing I will say, uh, being transparent, is number one, I didn't know about this movie. Number two, had I known about it or, or saw it, I'm not sure if I would have been drawn to it immediately, but talking to Christopher as we do about film and, and, and play uh, plays, I, I, he got my interest in this. And I also will admit that it took me a couple of times to watch it to fully grasp what was going on. There's a lot of moving parts in this um, that you have to really kind of, to, to quote, get your arms around to fully understand it. But once you do, um, it's a rather dramatic movie. And I think what it does uh, as a film, it takes us, many of us, into a, a, an, an environment, uh, a time that we really aren't that um, too uh, knowledgeable about many of us. And that's what was enlightening about it. Um, the, the pieces to the puzzle of this that took place in 1920 regarding West Virginia and labor and, and a number of different topics that we'll touch on as we move forward. So um, it, it's an excellent, excellent film to get lost in, but I think you need to watch it a few times to really um, really understand the gravity of what's happening in it, Christopher. You made a good point, Howard. I'd like to piggyback on that just for a minute. Um, I remember a story that an uncle of mine told me. He had moved out to um, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, being a New Jersey uh, resident all of his life. And he moved out there and he learned a lot about the coal mining that took place up in up in Pennsylvania, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, and you talk about uh, trying to relate to you know what these workers, these these human beings, these people went through. It, it almost seems so unbelievably not only foreign but just beyond tragic and brutal. He told this story that he heard that, for example, you know, the mining companies they owned everything, and they even owned you know the the, the houses or some would say the shacks or the property where they would even live in tents. And the workers had nothing in terms of, to speak of, in terms of belongings, in terms of how they lived. You know, it was, it was really slave labor, you know, and I don't think the child labor laws were that strongly in effect, 
you know, by this point, I mean, they had been enacted, I think, years ago, but you had a lot of, you know, young people, you know, still, still, you know, working in, in, in these impoverished, you know, dangerous conditions. And he told the story about when somebody got killed in the mine, they would put the, the, the body of, of the miner in a wheelbarrow. Right. And wheeled the guy right up to the porch, I guess, of the shack where the wife and family left and just leave the by there and said, you got 24 hours to get out. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a quote down uh, that I had uh, found that, that ties into what you're talking about. And it comes from somebody named Terry Steele, who was a coal miner for 26 years and became an environmentalist. And, he, he, and this is the direct quote. If you get a mule killed, if you get a mule killed in the mines and you were in charge, you could, you could lose your job over it. If you got a man killed, he could be replaced. Wow. End of quote. And that is wow. what, um, the impact of what this, this movie shows. The other thing about the children, everyone contributed. They lived under deplorable conditions as, as we saw in this movie. And everyone in the household had a role to play, no matter how young they were. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and and the sad part was they never were able to escape. It seems that yeah. world that they lived in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and as you're talking out, I was reminded of how the conditions even worsened. Like in the beginning, uh, they referenced this in the movie on a clip. I think we're going to see. You know, they used to have homes. But then the homes got bought out and the, the, the families, the miners, they were given money. But then they had to still work, you know, in the mines. And then you know, they got evicted from their homes. Then they were living in tents, you know, or even shanty towns or shacks. And then they got evicted out of those. And they weren't even given money. They were given company script that right. they had to buy product at inflated costs. Right. Everything um, in the film, and I don't believe that's in our scenes uh, tonight, but um, uh, their shovels, their equipment, everything had a price tag attached to it. Right. Uh, and it only used company script for everything that they owned. So right. um, the company com controlled everything. And I think going back to what you, how you opened up, you know, when we look at today's world and things that are happening and we look at this, which is a hundred years ago on the nose, really. Yeah. The common word is injustice. Mm. See injustice today, and we're seeing injustice in this film from 1920. Yeah. And yeah. that injustice, uh, as the notes that I took when I when I watched it, uh, it's the sensitivity to look at their living conditions, the exploitation of the workers, mm -hmm. um, the ignorance of the racism that took place yes. um, that we saw on this. Yes. Um, and the impact of the company, and we can just call it the company, yeah. um, versus these workers uh, who had no way of pleasing the company. Uh, they could do nothing right. Uh, yeah. Everything was against them. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be talking more specifically about parallels to, to today's uh, society and today's America, as well as around the world. You know, I was thinking as you were talking that I think I saw a reminder even about like the American Indian, Native American Indians, how, you know, they were eventually, you know, conquered, you know, taken control over and then relegated to reservations and the conditions there that were deplorable and then their whole culture and their lifestyle and their religion, everything just became decimated. 
the, the Native Americans were treated as if they didn't exist. Exactly. And, uh, and that we were exactly. doing them a favor uh, exactly. by giving them a piece of land. Um, exactly. To live off of. And, um, and we took and all the sacred land and built monuments on it. And, and, and look at, we took, you know, the miners, they lost their quote unquote sacred land, the land of their, of their forefathers, the land that their, you know, all, all their families were buried there. This is all they knew. This was their, you know, their, their life, their heritage. And that got taken away. And not uh, only were the miners uh, that we see in the film tonight, but uh, the uh, other people that were called the Foothill people were people that had their land taken away uh, down in West Virginia mm -hmm. by, the, by the coal mining company. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had their own world there. They were more, I, I guess, embedded into the hills yeah. down there. Uh, but yeah. they do surface in this film. Right. And, and you have to give credit to the, uh, the, to the director uh, who put this together to make sure that they got their day uh, in court here too. Um, yes, for a little yes, good bit. point. Uh, good point. So they just were totally decimated, no matter how you, how, which way you turn. Yeah. yeah, very good point. Very, very good points, Howard. All right, so why don't we um, look at the first uh, scene here? I think it's a very, very uh, expansive scene. This is a speech um, that the main character, um, Chris Carter. I think this was his film debut. Yeah, and he did, did a wonderful job here, uh, in my opinion. And he's talking about, you know, the, the real importance and the and the 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 crucial, I think, life or death um, imperative about having a union because there's still doubts about that. There's still dissent. Why don't you talk a little about about the scene before we uh, we play it? Howard, it's a. Um... It's a dramatic scene at the very beginning. And what you'll see in this um, is groups of people coming together in that room um, and, and being enlightened by um, the discussion that Joe Kenahan uh, brings up. Uh, and, and he explains to them what a union is all about. And because um, remember we have our West Virginia folks in this, we have Italians who don't have the language completely um, down pat as to what this would all mean. Um, and we have um, the black miners also uh, that are exposed to um, this, this concept of a union yeah. where they were having racism exercised against them yeah. their entire lives. And now there's a, a, a situation here where one person is trying to bring everyone cohesively together under the auspices of a union, or as the Italian gentleman would call it, the sindicato. Yes. Very true, very true, very powerful. They have these three powerful groups here um, and how, what happens when they are forced to confront working together. Okay, great, thank you. Let's, let's play this and see where we go. thing we got to have is all these niggers and all these dagos that come in here to take our jobs thrown out of the mine. Mine's hell. They got them in our houses. They're sitting at our tables right now and they're sleeping in our beds while we're out living under a piece of canvas at the back of the holler. I've been a union man my whole life. Another story with these coal operators and their gun thugs. The only thing they understand is the bad end of a bullet. And if we show them, we just as soon blow up their damn minds and see them work by a bunch of scabs, but then they go listen. Someone's come to tell us. We got someone. Uh, 
Where'd you find him? He come right up on the steps. They told me to see Eli as his way the union men's me. So I got business with the union. That's so. What's your name? It calls me few clothes. <laughs> I didn't come here looking for no trouble. The men's got to eat. They told me that they was jobs, you know. Oh, nigger. Goddamn scab. You watch your mouth, Peckerwood. I've been called nigger, and I can't help that the way white folks is, but I ain't never been called no scab. And I ain't fixing the startup now. I go ton for ton loading coal with any man here. When I do, I expect the same dollar for the same work. You get out of this holler alive, son, you'll be doing good for yourself. Union men, my ass. You want to be treated like men? You want to be treated fair? But you ain't men to that coal company. Your equipment, like a shovel, a gondola car, a hunk of wood break. They use you until you wear out or you break down or you're buried under a slate fall and then they'll get a new one. And they don't care what color it is or where it comes from. It doesn't matter how much coal you can load or how long your family has lived on this land. If you stand alone, you're just so much shit to those people. You think this man is your enemy? Huh? This is a worker. Any union keeps this man out ain't a union. It's a goddamn club. Now they got you fighting white against colored, native against foreign, holler against hollers. When you know there ain't but two sides of this world, them that work and them that don't. You work, they don't. That's all you got to know about them. You say you got guns. Well, I know that you all are brave men. And I know you could shoot it out with the company if you had to. But the coal company don't want this union. The state government don't want it. The federal government don't want it. And they're all of them just waiting for an excuse to come down and crush us to nothing. Fellas, we're in a hole full of coal gas here. The tiniest spark at the wrong time is going to be the end of us. So we got to pick away at this situation, slow and careful. We got to organize and build support. We got to work together, together, till they can't get their coal out of the ground without us because we're a union.
Because we're the workers, damn it, and we take care of each other. How can we shut the mind down if we don't dynamite them? The men walked out. All of them. I had the chance. Every man that walks out on his own steam, we take into the union. All the egos and all the color. That's what a union is, fellas. We better get used to it. Wow. Yeah. Powerful, powerful scene. Um, yes, it is. And every time you watch it, you grab something else from 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 listening yes. to the words. Um, yes, um, I, I was going to ask you about that because I'm taking a note here uh, also. I'm um, still taking notes. Yeah, I think the overriding word to describe this theme uh, that we're looked at is dignity. This is about yeah. dignity. Yes. It's about proud people in this scene uh, who are trying to make something work. Uh, for their for themselves and for their for their families and 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 you know for the, what is this is their occupation this is what they do but in between that they're faced with confusion uh, we saw the, one man mentioned about blowing up the mind versus a better idea which would be to, to walk out um, we, we see a number of conflicting situations going on in this scene that we can both touch on Christopher you know I'll flip it over to you on that yeah, thank you. Um, well, something that I caught just now, and I didn't catch it before, but at the point where um, he takes his hat off, and right before he takes his hat off, he starts talking about pointing to a James Earl Jones, and I love the part that he, he did in this, playing a character called Fuclose. He, he says, you know, essentially, he's not the enemy. Right. You know, we're all workers here. And I think it's a very significant gesture, but whether it's subconscious on the part of the character, or the actor, you know, because um, taking off your hat is a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he's saying, you know, this is not my enemy. You know, you can call him any racial name that you want, but we're workers together. So you mentioned about dignity. So he dignifies this man's Stan took a big risk coming here. Yes. You know, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he was going to fight for what he believed in, fight fight to live, fight to, you know, be himself, be the family. Um, so I thought that was very significant at that point when he took his hat off. And the second thing is at the end, um, just before he finished saying, you know, you know, this is what a union is, fellas, get used to it. But right when he was saying, you know, um, we have to take everybody. He points out we have to take women, the blacks, and the Italians, and of course to use you know more racially charged words. And he said, "Yeah, you know, that's how it's going to be." I noticed in the background the guns came down. Right. They lowered the shotguns, and they were, it was almost like it started to sink in. You know, maybe not everybody was they weren't cheering and clapping, but I think the realization just hit them. You know, like a huge ton of coal. You know, pun intended. And it was like, wow. We're going to have to really, you know, regroup in a sense, you know, literally, and change our thinking how we're going to handle this. Right. 
Uh, you know, these gentlemen have been called to a meeting. How, how often do you have a meeting? You know, you're working in the coals and all of a sudden, the coal mines, and all of a sudden someone comes along and says, we have some ideas that we want to share. They had no idea what was going to be brought up in, uh, in this discussion. Um, uh, there's a lot of raw language in it that, that some folks may be offended by, but it's the language of when uh, this took place. And that's the reality of, of, of what, uh, what was going on. But the upside to this is that these conflicting forces going on in here become, become unified at the end of this, uh, at the end of this scene. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it, that, that, that environment that, that, that Kenahan has created will transcend throughout the rest of the, uh, the film. Yes. Yes. W well said. Uh, Howard, let me ask you, what, what parallels, you know, can, can the audience, you know, draw from, you know, the situation, you know, in, in this movie to today, how would you point out some, some parallels? Well, number one would be the fact that we've seen recently uh, in June of this year, and um, we've seen marches where people of all backgrounds and colors have come together uh, for a unified cause. Um, there's a parallel between this group of people in that room that are of different ethnic backgrounds who have, are now joining together for a common cause that causes the company. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a parallel of what we've seen today um, I think is a, is a strong one. Um, I, I, I think the other thing is communication that we talk a lot about uh, today. People need to communicate with each other to better understand each other. And in this scene, we've seen one gentleman here, John Kenahan, um, uh, Kenahan um, bring people together is what I'm trying to say mm -hmm. and communicate to the Italians in the room and, and the blacks in the room and the, and the native West Virginian people there. Mm -hmm. um, he's communicating to them how they can work together and to leave their differences aside. And that's what we're seeing today um, through a lot of activity today uh, when we watch TV and we listen to people that are outside yeah. um, trying to unify people, trying to communicate. So yeah. that's another parallel, I think, between yeah. then and now. Um, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, um, of course, and the thing that is, is most um, you know, recent, most prevalent is you know, the racial protests, you know, and I think it, it takes something that drastic for people to, to get together to, to protest, you know, publicly, to be out there, you know, in the open, you know, registering their, you know, opinion or their protest, hopefully, you know, more peaceably than than with violence, but it, it takes people taking a stand to 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 sacrifice in some ways their time, their energy, their money, and uh, but the thing here about you know walking off a job, you know, and that really hits it closest to home, you know, right. when when you you're going to sacrifice what your paycheck, you know, your livelihood, right. Um, you know, that's, that's as, as close as you could probably get next to, you know, risking your life, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm just amazed. I think of parallels, you know, to 1968. You know, I, w I was a young boy, you know, when the, the, the riots and everything, especially in 68 and the Democratic Convention, which, which, which just started this week, actually. Right. Enough, you know. Yes. But, um you know, and the young people, especially, you know, at that time, the college age kids, you know, really getting up in arms. And of course, there was, 
the tragic consequences with the violence and all that. But I was really focusing on the initiative and the amount of, you know, the guts and, and, and really channeling all that anger about injustice, like the word you brought up. Right. You know, and fighting for dignity and fighting for, for rights that were being uh, I think, you know, trampled on. Um, so I just, you know, wonder, you know, is, is it almost generational at times or does it, time, does it skip, you know, a certain generation or I, I don't know. I just was thinking about that or does it come in cycles, you know, with the economy, you know, sometimes or with a certain, you know, family generations, you know what I mean? You hear about World War II being, you know, a great generation. But what did they come out of? They came out of the Depression. Right. So they were very accustomed to sacrifice, you yeah. know, growing up as children with, you know, work was scarce. The parents probably, you know, the dads did, didn't, didn't have a lot of work. They had, a, they had a scrape by. And then out of that, they go into a world war. You yeah. know, so it was just, talk about so much pressure in a short amount of a period of, uh, you know, 15 years, you figure 1930 or 16 years, 29 to 45. And I, not to get into a historical context of this beyond what the scope of our, of our discussion today, but this almost from what I've read was the triggering point to further um, development of the unions and the issues that were taking place down there. And, yes. and in years to come, John L. Lewis became yes. uh, prominent, but that's really beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. But when you're talking about a triggering event, that yes. would have been the triggering event here. The civil rights movement began in the late 1950s with the yes. um, desegregation of the, of the schools mm -hmm. and carried on right through the 1960s. Um, and now again, uh, issues have surfaced that have um, created a need to re-explore uh, solutions to yeah. ongoing issues. Yeah. Uh, so, this was a prominent time um, in in, uh, in in commerce and in um, industry. What was going on down down there? Yes. There were hardworking people that were being exploited and not being treated well. Uh, yep. And on top of it, literally having their land taken away and their ability to um, sustain their own lives. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Good point. You know, the tentacles from this event you know, reached far into the next decade, the 30s, when that's where the, the United Mine Workers really then became a force. Yeah. So it took all that time, but this was like the uh, the match, you could say, I guess, that really lit the flame that, that became a, you know, a, a bonfire. Right. Well, he said a hole full of coal gas right now uh, yeah. when it was his line to show how volatile this, this situation was. But yeah. again, the scene shows something even today. There are, there are people in our, in our, world that just don't get it and um, they don't understand it until someone really spells it out. Yeah. Uh, however they do that. And in this yeah. scene, some of these gentlemen in that room, they, they didn't get it. They just didn't understand what was going on until he really hit him in the head um, with a shovel in this scene. That's true. Very true. I mean, ignorance is so deeply embedded. It is so entrenched as it is taught you know, family generation for generation. And it's it's almost like the person was saying, you know, you're, you're gonna walk out of here and fly, flap your arms, you're gonna fly like a bird, you know, like, what? you know, I mean, maybe that's a bad analogy, but something that's unthinkable, that never gonna happen. It's an impossibility. Right. You know, it's almost, it's stupid to even suggest it, but lo and behold, look what happens, you know? But I'll tell you, this is a very refreshing scene 
uh, to watch. When when it's over, you really get a good feeling about it. Um, yes, yes. What, what, yeah. what has taken place in that and in, in there? Um, well said. Well said, Howard. Um, so let's uh, let's segue to another scene again, talking about. I guess you could say this is a union uh, in action, and it's the first time we're going to see in this film that the three uh, segments you know of the population here. You have the the West Virginian, you know, Americans. You have African Americans, Italian Americans, and this is where the 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 rubber, I guess, meets the road. How would how would you uh, like to? Well, well, no. This is this is where the uh, the organization uh, comes together in, in, in this next next scene. Um, he laid the groundwork for it here, and it comes to fruition uh, in the scene that we will uh, we will see uh, in a few minutes. Great. All right. Let me uh, cue this up, and let's just watch this next one. Viva lo sciopero! Viva lo sciopero! E appassa i padroni! Yeah! I'm with him! Mi facciamo! Are you union men? Let's welcome our new brothers! Andiamo!
Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, three words, very important in this scene. I'm with him. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I, I didn't catch the first line of dialogue, what the guy said. Did you have that better? You just said a brief, you made a brief comment. Uh, at the very beginning, I, yeah. I, again, I'd have to go back and, and, and listen to it again. Um, okay. Are you talking about Joe Kenahan? No, no, one of the other guys had said something. Mm. I was given an instruction about something. I forget what it was, but anyway. Um, well, go ahead, yeah. No, it, was, it doesn't, it doesn't um, take away from the, the power of the scene. Um, I just, I just didn't catch it the way, way it was said. But, um, but like I said, the more important thing is that the, the, the thematic uh, dialogue was "I'm with him." Yeah. And there you see it. See, I think at the beginning, you're not, they're not sure what's going to happen. They're not sure if one, one uh, uh, section of workers, one faction is the word I'm looking for, is going to go into the, you know, mine and work and break the solidarity. They're supposed to all be there and say, no, we're, we're, we're not going to do it. And I guess they were all worried if someone was going to try to get over on the other group. Hence the tension well, at the beginning. Yeah. When they rushed yeah. over there, you know, it, was like, it, wasn't, it wasn't tested yet, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, no, right. You know, the, the, these two groups, the Blacks and the Italians, were brought there uh, for promise of work. Uh, right. And not realizing what they were stepping into right. it was a more, uh, in, you know, volatile um, situation there. Um, right. The, um, and, and, you know, you have language barriers here, you have cultural barriers here, right. yet they all understood they all understood what they needed to do in this mm -hmm. scene from a, from, a, from, from a solidarity standpoint. So you mm -hmm. asked about parallel uh, to, to today's um, events, same thing. People of all different backgrounds coming together in a march or in a protest to um, talk about an injustice, the, the different, different cultures, uh, different mm -hmm. backgrounds, um, different lineage, but together, yeah. Uh, to to focus in on something that is problematic, and that's really what these gentlemen did. These guys did in this, um, and you know, this was just thrust upon them. Like I said, uh, they were brought to there for for, for hopes of of, of um, bettering themselves, earning some money, and all of a sudden, they're right in the middle of this. But they understood it, and they came together in the scene. Yeah. Um, and it's great when he says, I think this belongs to you, a um, few, few <laughs> clothes. And he dropped it there. And, and yeah. really, he was the, along with Kenahan, few clothes is really the, uh, the, the solid, another solidifying force in this, really, when you think about it. He had quite a presence, mm -hmm. and he got respect from everyone from both sides. And yeah. um, he was being transparent and honest, and um, they all appreciated it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it just shows that you can have a great scene, uh, but not have a lot of dialogue. No. You know, as, as we learn in our workshop, you know, acting is behavior. You know, it's primarily the behavior and the words, um, sure, are important, but it's the behavior that really carries, you know, the scene and expressing the emotions and, and, and you know, how they, how they live just in, in the moment, you know, in this situation. Um, right. Yeah. You know, 
and we talk about props in, 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 in our classes also, but I think that shovel was one heck of a prop in this. It represented, you know, um, we're in charge here, not you. Yeah, yeah. Company. Yeah, good point. Good Here's point. your shovel back, because it was company property. Right. Um, they had to pay for it through their script. Right. Um, and uh, the company advanced it. And another scene that we're not showing when the, when the company said, we're going to advance you your equipment but you're going to pay for it. So he basically said at that point, here's your shovel back. Yeah, right, exactly. Away. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, it's interesting. Um, is there anything that, that um, surprised you at all about this particular scene or anything else that struck you? Because I'm looking at it again. And um, I don't know, certain things are just sort of playing through my mind. But is there anything else about this? Well, scene? one thing I think is dramatic is that if you notice, the, again, the company representative there in the suit and the hat uh, waved off the gentleman with the machine gun at that point. Mm -hmm. um, he, his reaction to what he was witnessing was, you know what, let him go. Uh, let, they're going to walk off. We're not going to retaliate here because they were ready to start shooting there, I think, at that point. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. And I thought it was somewhat dramatic where he was standing there in awe himself of what he was witnessing, the uh, company representative. Yeah, almost like he couldn't believe it. Like, this isn't really happening. You this know? isn't happening. Yeah. And um, he'd be thinking that this is not going to last. This is going to be just, this is like a, you know, a flash in the pan, you know. Um, and it was, I think, the tension was played very, very well. Because, I mean, they got up real close. You know, yeah. with that machine gun, you know, staring them right in the face, you know, and he picks up that shovel, you know, it's just like, yeah. that gets, you know, and then just quickly says, all right, this belongs to you and throws it down. But, and we saw people with rocks in their hands. Right. You know, and, and, and wooden bats or sticks and, uh, and guns, you know, um, one false move and it would have been a bloodbath. It could have been a bloodbath, but it, it wasn't. There was, um. Right solidarity and there yes. was awe, like you said on the part of the company they had no idea that this would go in that in that direction at that point so they just let them let them walk off together and then and then they started singing as they walked off which yeah was, yeah you know yeah. um yeah. dramatic yeah, yeah. I, I i just i just really um just appreciate you know the scene so much because of just just there was like a seamlessness to how it just came together you know, there was that standoff, and then finally, it just takes, you know, of course, one person to take that first step, and what a brave step that was, uh, taken by, you know, the African-American, you know, minor and, and at this point. Um, right. Which I'm uh, sure, you know, uh, had, had, had that power even of itself, because he, he wasn't from that area. No. You know, that was not no. his home ground, you know. And as a matter of fact, again, limited in, in what we can show, but uh, to, to the audience listening to this, the scene at the beginning of the movie is a uh, few clothes and the black um, miners that were, that were coming, they were in a box, in a, in a freight car in the back. They weren't even right. allowed to sit in the front of the, uh, of the train. They yes. were segregated in a box car. And, um, yes. Good point. I was, I'm glad you brought that up. A box car, no ventilation. Right, it's summertime. It's dark. It's hot, and it's it, it's it's. You might as well be a piece of machinery, which, in a, in a sense, like we've heard before, that's what they were. Right. 
you know, they, they were brought there under false pretenses to yes. be scabs in this and uh, through few clothes. Um, they didn't go that route. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, we've gone through two of the, the larger scenes. Um, why don't we take a, a pause at this moment and then um, we will prepare for our, our next segment. So let me just take a stop here. We appreciate that you're taking the time to, to watch this and listen uh, with us you know, you know, on this, movies that matter. And um, I want to take a, a short uh, intermission. Short intermission, <laughs> absolutely. Hi, this is Christopher Rawlings, and I'm with Howard Diamond, and we are actors with Open Door Productions, a film and theater a company in New Jersey. And we've been doing a film discussion uh, talk, and we call it for now Movies That Matter. And we've been discussing uh, very meaningful, powerful films, some classic, some more modern day, that deal with social and political issues that, that resonate in today's uh, society in America as well as worldwide. Um, and from historical uh, films like the one we're discussing now, Mate One, as well as others. So um, this is our second segment, and we're working our way through some additional scenes about uh, scenes that really crystallize the theme of the story and really show a, a wonderful arc to the characters and the journey they're going on. And really that I think really have, have the crux of, of, of the real meaning of, of, of the film. So let me turn this over to Howard. How, how are you, Howard? I'm good, I'm good. Great. Great, I'm glad we're here. So uh, is there anything you'd like to say about what we're gonna start with today or just in general about the film thus far? You know, one of the things that I've noticed as we do this is that when you look at the film deeper, it's like opening up a door into a room and, and you, you walk it deeper into the room and you, and you see so much more as you, uh, as you grow with your, your, your knowledge of the film that's in front of you. But I like to look a little bit beyond it and I do a little bit of research, but not too much, because then you end up moving out of the scope of our discussion, and, and it can go way, way too far out. But I think that it's relevant to this to continue uh, to put this incident and Mate One together with the overall picture of the labor movement in the, the early part of the century uh, and what was happening. And I found a quote by a labor historian uh, by the name of Hoyt Wheeler, who said, and I quote, firing men for union activities, beating and arresting union organizers, increasing wages to stall the unions, the union's organizational drive, and a systematic campaign of terror produced an atmosphere in which violence was inevitable, end of quote. And you will see that transition in this movie. Violence is always out there, the potential for it. And what we see in this film is the, a more pacifist way of, 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 of dealing with it versus the violence. And we saw this in the first half when instead of uh, going to explosives, they used a uh, walk off the site uh, uh, way of handling it. Mm -hmm. We'll see some more of that type of discussion now and I don't want to be a spoiler with this uh, in the scene that we're going to uh, see in a little bit, but it's one of those conflicts that goes on within the film um, that is just ongoing. And, and again, you watch it two or three times, it becomes 
much more to the surface. Christopher, would you um, tie to that? Yeah, uh, very well said, Howard. Um, I'd like to uh, just mention one thing and then uh, turn it back to you for a second. Um, this particular scene in, in the film, it is, uh, there's quick cuts. It is also, it's cross cut with another scene that we're also uh, gonna watch after this. But what we've done is this particular scene, it, it's, it's, it's cut back and forth um, about five times. And I'm gonna, we're gonna show all the five segments right in a row. So for continuity purposes, so they, they can see just the whole arc of the conversation. Um, and then we'll, we'll show the other scene which has uh, three parts to it that, again, it is, it is cut back and forth with this particular uh, scene. But how would you like to mention about what this scene's about? Well, it's going to, without trying to give too much away, we're going to see um, the, uh, Fuclo's uh, sitting with Joe Kenahan. Um, and, and Joe, <laughs> Fuclo's is there for a specific reason. Um, he's carrying a weapon with him right now, and his job, having um, pulled the short straw, was to uh, terminate the engagement of what they called the Bolshevik and this, the Red, Joe Kenahan, for trying to create this union. And I believe, as you'll see, is that Fuclos has um, mixed emotions about this, and we're going to see an insight into both men uh, through this conversation um, that takes place by the campsite. Um, it, and Christopher, you know, we, I could turn again back to you on, on the other side of it also. Yeah, uh, very true. And also mentioning this, is, I don't think this comes out, but he was falsely accused of uh, sexual assault. Um, there was a rumor started that was purposely um, created to, to discredit him. Um, you know, as it turns out, we won't maybe see this in, the, in, in these clips, but there was a spy that was planted in the, in the town um that works for the mining company and is there to sow discontent and really to sabotage uh, the union building efforts and this is the person that uh started this 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 rumor that uh, joe kenahan um uh again committed a, a sexual assault but it's a total lie so again with him trying to create this union and being a very charismatic man a very authentic believable person um, the, the mining companies doing everything they can to sabotage not only his efforts um, by calling him a red, calling him a communist, uh, you know, accusing him of sexual assault and accusing him, you know, again, uh, sowing uh, you know, discord by trying to organize a, uh, a labor union. So there's a lot of it stacked up against them. But here, here's the scene now, again, where, like you said, uh, the men were all in a room previously and they all had to uh, draw straws. Who was going to be the one to, uh, to shoot him? to kill him. And oddly enough, it was um, Fuclos, uh, who we remember from the scene from before when he came to the union meeting and he went in there, you know, really sticking his neck out and saying, I want to be part of a union, regardless of my background, regardless of where I come from. Uh, I'm a worker and I want to join forces. And uh, it was Joe that, that put them together. Right. And here it is now. It's been given to Fuclos to as far as he knows at this point, uh, to shoot him. So here we go. All right, I'll, put all, I'll play all the five scenes um, in a row.
that shit detail again. Next one. Bear with me. I was in Leavenworth. There was a bunch of Mennonites. And because they wouldn't fight in the war against their religion. It's also against their religion to shave their beards or wear buttons on their clothes. They were being forced to do both by the prison guards. So they refused to work. They went on a strike right there in Hell's Hathaway. They were handcuffed to the bars of a cell house eight hours a day for two full weeks. They were put with their arms up like this. Because they had to stand on their toes. Those cuffs were cut into the wrists. There can't nobody stay on their toes eight hours. So pretty soon their, their fingers would start to swell up. They turn blue and then they crack open. Blood run down their arms. Eight hours a day, day after day. They're still like Still, they tore the buttons off the uniforms every time they were sewn back on. They tore them with their teeth. Their hands wouldn't close them more. Now I don't mind the name myself. Them fellows. They never lifted a gun in their lives. Finding a grave or not.
I skipped one. I apologize in the beginning. I mean, I can go back. I don't think it'll be too disruptive. Is that okay with you, Howard? Oh, I think it's relative. You need to. Yes, if you can. Yeah. Let me see which one that I skipped. I think it's the second one. Please bear with me. It's when few clothes is speaking. Yeah. If they're coming, I wish they'd hurry up. I don't want any more shooting in the woods. Oh. You ever use one of those? Ted Kepler. Cuba. Like a manicure. San Juan Hill. Okay, there's the one. That's all five, as I recall. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing, again, just watching this here together with you, more things come to mind. Um, but let me turn over to you. What, what about this scene as a whole? Well, again, we're seeing further character development in this. And what we're seeing with few clothes and we saw it from the beginning. He's a, I don't know if this is the correct word, but a bastion of, uh, of integrity, of, of loyalty, uh, and, and of depth. And as a, a, I'm sure as a black man in this country at that time, he knew what trouble was. He knew what adversity was. He experienced it on the train ride to this um, town in a boxcar with the others. He, um, and there's scenes that we're not showing that you would see when you watch the movie, but you can see some of the, the violence that took place when they got off the boxcar. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that he wants to carry out this deed. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a connection that has developed between Joe and himself. There's um, a, a respect that they have for each other that Canahan saw when Joe walked into the room, when um, Fuclos walked into the room that we saw earlier. Uh, there's a bond between them. But um, whether it was because of, of fear or because he was loyal to what he needed to do, few clothes was prepared to carry out this, um, this execution. Yeah. Um, but what we see, I think, from my end of it is we understand more about the, fa the pacifist background of Joe, 
Um, and uh, again, there's conflict in this scene, just like through every other scene that we've seen. We have a man with a gun that is, is, is expected to use it. And, 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 uh, and Joe, who has never used a weapon, uh, and speaks a lot about the, um, what the Mennonites had gone through um, uh, at Leavenworth. So there's conflict. Uh, and, and when you watch this, quite honestly, like any film, you have no idea where this is going, this scene. Um, there's no end, nothing to indicate all, that this, this isn't going to be carried out at this point. And you kind of wonder where the film's going to go at that point if Joe is removed from this. Uh, and you are on the edge of your seat when you're watching this uh, for the first time. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the tension is so palpable. It, it, it's, it's, it's really so well done. Um, again, just to piggyback on what you said a little bit, but the rapport between these two guys, these two characters, is, is so rich. You know, there's such a connection, you know, between them. Like you said, um, there's a respect. Uh, there's something that, that resonates each of them, you know, for what they've been through. You know, they're comrades uh, very quickly, and, and, and they've just met. You know, just just obviously just so recently, but, you know, being brought together in this struggle and as often sometimes, you know, people from different backgrounds, people that you wouldn't rub shoulders in in, in, in daily life when you're thrust in, in a crisis, you know, that's urgent like this. And sometimes just because of circumstance that we wouldn't ordinarily meet, um, it, it, it has such a unifying effect, you know, upon the human spirit, you know, fighting together for a struggle that would benefit everybody in this case. But personally, I think that there's just something about these two guys that they, they click. And there is that, there is that, that real, you know, it's just a warm rapport. And I just love just watching uh, James Earl Jones. You know, I, I, I'm so much like him as an actor in particular, but where he starts from the beginning, he's, he's glum, he's solemn, he's trying to, you know, he's obviously ruminating what he, you know, he has to do. And he's still engaging in conversation. You know, there's still a part of him that just still draws him out, finds more out about, you know, Joe Kenan here. Um, and I'm particularly um, drawn to the end part where if you notice when he comes back after he's been told by one of the other uh, miners that, you know, it called off that, that, that Joe is not, uh, he's innocent. So forget about it. You know, that the, the quote unquote assassination is, is, is canceled. And he goes back and he's, he's smiling and he just starts to laugh and he turns his hat sideways. Right. And I think that's a very telling gesture. Um, what do you think that's about? Um, the weight of the world was lifted off of his shoulders at that time. And he went from a very stoic, serious individual to a kid. He yes. was a kid at that time. Yes. It was, it was just, it was like the last day of school uh, yes. in June is what it was like. Bravo. Yes. I, I like how you said that. Yes. Um, he got silly. He got giddy. He didn't know what to do. You know, he's laughing and he pats him on the shoulder. His hat is turned sideways. That's great. He was like a kid that was uh, leaving school for the summer vacation. Um, so great. So and good. Kenahan had no idea what was happening. No. In his Either naivety or his faith in what was going on in the, in the town that he could have not known what was about to happen at that point. Um, he didn't but, know how close he was. Yeah. But, you know, I think in, in, in watching James Earl Jones, like you said, in other films, I, I remember him in Field of Dreams where he played, you know, the advisor, the, 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 the strength, if you recall, in that movie, similar to this. He just carries yeah. himself in that manner and, yeah. um, and he demands that type of, um, of respect. But yeah. this is a well 
written scene and it's calculated. It, mm-hmm. Really, when you look at it, there's there's beats to it. When he talks about San Juan Hill and yeah. he talks about his experience in Leavenworth, this is this is carefully measured. This scene yes. to get the most impact out of it. Absolutely, and they took it right to the moment where you know a few close. He had the gun and he was you know cocking it and getting it ready, and he just looks over his shoulder. He was just at that point. And that, that miner who just, you know, ran his ass off, you know, to get there in time in the dark, up a mountain, you know, and just got yeah. there in time. Um, and what a, what a, what a great scene. Um, okay. So, um, it's okay with you. Why don't we go to the, to the second scene that this is intercut with. And uh, why don't you uh, mention about what, what this next scene is uh, with um, Well, we're, we're going to see young Danny, who's a lay preacher, uh, whose whose character uh, is not really developed in the short time that we have with each other uh, through this presentation, but uh, he's a vocal young man uh, who sees the wrongs that are being done in the uh, in the community, um, and he is prepared to do his sermon tonight uh, to send a very specific message to uh, some of the uh, parishioners that are in the church, and he does a fantastic job of illustrating um, what has happened biblically versus what he is seeing going on in the uh, in the town and he makes a significant contribution uh, uh, to to uh, save Joe in this and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know whether you're have a religious background or not it's easy to follow uh, the sermon in this and and the emotions that are taking place uh, from it's... the parishioners and the reactions you just have to study the faces of those that know what's happening here. And I don't want to give any more away until you, so you can see it. Sure, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's another another very good, you know, action, you know, emotionally, you know, tense scene. So here we go. And there are three segments of this and we'll again play them all in a row. I want to tell you tonight about the blackness in the heart of man. I'm going to warn you about the many and devious ways in which Satan will hide from you the truth of who your real friends are. I'm going to do it with a story from the Patriarch. Now, we all know about Joseph and how out of all Jacob's 12 children, he was the smartest and the smoothest. And how his brothers got so jealous, they pulled off his coat of many colors and whooped on him and left him out to be sold into slavery. But Joseph was not your ordinary fellow. Even for biblical times, he had a special way with him. A way of looking at the grand scheme of things. So when this fellow Potiphar bought him for a slave, Joseph just smiled and vowed he was going to be a good one. Making the best of a bad situation. He put his heart to his work and was honest and friendly in his dealings. And before you knew it, he was just about running Potiphar's household and fields and all his businesses for him. The only trouble was Potiphar's wife. Now she was what you might call a loose woman. Also in Potiphar's employ at this time were a couple of spies from one of his enemies. Fellows that wanted to bring him down in the world, get their hands on his fields and houses. They seen the wanton lust of Miss Potiphar and seen it would be good for their purposes to get shed of young Joseph. So they come to Potiphar's wife. He 
called Joseph in and she asked him one more time, Joseph, will you lie with me? And he said, no, ma'am, I won't. And she sets up a ruckus and grabs hold of his garment he's wearing and rends it in two before he can get clear. Potiphar runs in then with his guards and she's a bawling her eyes out and shaking like a leaf. You're serving Joseph, she says. He come in here and tried to make me lie with him. Only when I called out, he fled, leaving this here garment as evidence. And not only that, she says, he's been spying and plotting against you with your enemies. He needs to take over here and have you killed. Potiphar had no reason to misbelieve his wife. Joseph was a slave and a foreigner. So he gathered up his servants and household workers, and they went and slew Joseph dead cut him from gut to gizzard and left him bleeding in the street. And lo, they never learned to miss Potiphar's lies and went to their maker unrepentant with innocent blood on their hands. Draw your own conclusion. I think, Christopher, you'll do a little bit better job of me going into the weeds on this, but let me just set it up and then I'll flip it over to you that, sure. because our audience may not know the characters. Um, the gentleman at the door is C.E. Lively, who is the spy in this, um, in this film, um, and he's the one that's been implanted there. Um, he's observing everything from the door. The two well-dressed gentlemen in the, in, the, in the back who appear to be in are rather inebriated at this point after having a lot of uh, drink at dinner, uh, uh, where they're staying at actually the preacher's mom's um, a home in her inn, they are the two uh, enforcers, uh, for sake of another way of putting it, yeah. that were yeah. sent by Baldwin Feltz to, uh, to, to bring you know, the, the hammer down on the town. And at one scene in there, one cut, he takes his pocket watch out because he's trying to get his, his arms around and something else that should be happening at that moment, which involves Kenahan. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and this is Danny. This is uh, the, the young preacher that we were talking about who right. composed this sermon himself. And I think, Christopher, you may want to take it from there. And sure. Thank you. Um, again, since these were intercut, um, there's something I want to uh, tag on to. In the last scene that we saw, the part where um, Joe escaped being shot, there was the restaurant that was on fire. And that was Lively's restaurant. He owned a restaurant in town, and that's obviously where they had all the meetings and things. So when they discovered that he was the spy, which was kind of after this, but again, since they were intercut in that way, they burned his restaurant down, and he fled, and eventually did escape. Um, by swimming across the river um, at night. But um, that's part of that story. But in, in the story about, about Joseph, it's interesting. And people know this story because of the Technicolor Dreamcoat, the, the Broadway play, you know, that part about uh, Joseph. But uh, Joseph being in Egypt. And, and again, the, the uh, details of that that uh, Danny mentions in the story are true. However, he brings in the point about the spies and, and the killers that come so the, and these people are all, you know, Bible uh, literate, 
you know, very devout. They know the stories and, and they pick up right away that he's changed the narrative of the biblical story. And only the two guys, obviously in the back who are too either drunk or don't really pay attention or not really biblically aware, even Lively got it. Even though he knows, you know, right. he's the spy, he understood right away what this brilliant young man is doing. And, you know, um, say what you want, but the, these people who weren't so, you might want to say, academically smart, they were sharp people. They oh, knew. Yeah. They were very aware. They were very intuitive. They were very insightful. You know, um, they picked up right away. They knew what was happening. And, uh, you know, what a clever uh, subterfuge. You know, this, this scene was one of the scenes that, that stuck in my mind from the first time I saw it years ago, in particular. Well, you get goosebumps uh, to a certain extent when you look at the young men talking to each other and whispering, because when they figured it out and they knew what they had to do at that yeah. point, right, uh, is is you know it's it's very impactful. Um, uh, and, and you know the, the entire scene is uh, you know the, the 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 religion and the church was important to these people because mm -hmm. they didn't have a whole lot else to uh, hang their hat on. So yeah. um, they, they go to this service and you know they really absorb like you said every every bit of it i i, I love the, the the singing in it um uh at, at the end but yeah. uh, the message was given uh the word was given and um ce lively like you said knew it but those two drunk um gentlemen there uh, had no idea what was about to happen they thought the act was going to be carried out at that point and that yeah. was going to be shot yeah and, and i just uh, want to mention something else too that it's i that's really good how you put that howard um you have such a great way of of hitting the nail on the head, you know, squarely and soundly. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, as I st stagger for the words here, it seems just the flow, which is so freely from you. Um, that's why we have a good contrast, you know. We do. I'm a struggler. I'm like, what's the word? I can't think. You're like, well, it's like this, 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 and this. Um, those two, uh, uh, the enforcers, as you call them, it should note that they're staying at Danny's house with his mother. And that's played by Mary O'Donnell, the woman in the front row. And she's the one that really is, is, is catching the impact to see it in her eyes about what's being said. So those two guys have been actually causing a lot of antagonism uh, living in and Danny and his mom's house while they're staying there. And there's been there's been um, they made threats, you know, against him you know, in the movie because he, he discovers, you know, uh, you know, inside information and they mock him. They mock his his religion and they mock his his calling to be a preacher and you know they've made you know sly innuendos toward his mother you know and and it's just there's that backstory to all this going into it and yet you know for a young man he he handles himself very well he's angry he can be volatile but he controls himself and he knows how to take take revenge it, it, and what we we didn't see was that these the again the impact of the company that's her house, but when these two, I call them gentlemen uh, for sake of being uh, nice right. about it, but when these right. two gentlemen come into town, they're looking for a room. And actually, Joe Kennahan was staying in the only room available yes. in the house. And he offered to give up his room to go stay at the hotel, which was nowhere near as nice. But um, one of those two guys said that uh, this is reportable to the company, uh, that they were, that she was apprehensive in giving them a room. So once again, she, uh, Danny's mom was sitting there standing there thinking okay well what are they going to do to me now um, right, you know, yeah. the company yeah. controls the house it's my house but 
um, it was expected that they would get a room. It was only because Joe stepped aside that they were able to get a room. But right, uh, right. constant confrontations between Danny and these uh, these two um, individuals that were there to enforce the, um, you know, the rule of the company. Uh, yeah. The yeah. And did we bring out that uh, Danny is, in fact, the narrator of this story in a way? No, I, I don't think we did, actually. Okay. Um, which does come out more toward the end, you know, in, in, in hindsight. Um, but yeah, and, and as you come to find out, you know, Danny, he lives his life out, you know, with his people here, you know, as a West Virginia miner and, and preacher. Um, and like you mentioned last time, this was a catalyst that it took another 10 years for into the 1930s and next decade for uh, the labor union to become a real vital force in America. You know, so this was like the match, as you said, you know, right. thrown in, you know, and it started the fire. You know, so, when you watch this movie and you really do spend some time with it, like Christopher and I have, uh, you almost are sitting in that uh, church with mm -hmm. them at that, in that scene. Um, you know, there's scenes throughout the movie that you feel that you're actually part of uh, because you become actually one of the townspeople as a, yeah. as, a, as a viewer of this movie, you're really becoming yeah. part of the town. Yeah. Just, and again, the, the authentic act, acting is not a weak scene in the entire film, you know, and, and I believe, and uh, I think you, we can share that. Uh, it's just, just, just solid acting, good story told simply, but, but truthfully and fully. So um, then we have the last scene, which yep. is between, uh, we call him, you know, preacher Danny and Joe Kennehan. This is toward the end of the movie. So um, why don't we watch it and then we can talk about it? Because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Nothing's going to bring the healer back, you know. Danny, I came here to help. Sure you did. First people come here to help us with some money. Next we know we got no land. Then they say they're going to help us with a job and a place to live. And they stick us in some damn coal camp. Let us dig out their mines. Now you come here to help us bring in the new day. Well, Hillard ain't gonna see no new day. We had about as much help as we can stand. We gotta take care of ourselves. We got to take care of each other. Okay. Once All again, right. once again, we have conflict. Yeah. Um, we have the, the, the preacher Danny who's talking about uh, we need to take care of ourselves and Joe who says we need to take care of each other and yeah. Danny's part he knows that is the right answer uh, but they these these people are proud people they work hard and they, they've been dealt a, a, a bad hand and they can't seem to get out from under it and the, and, yeah. and the well-wishers and the and the people that want to spread, you know, the good uh, are coming in there, but not really accomplishing anything. They're offering money, 
uh, or land, but where are they in, in, in the long run here? They're, they're nowhere. And, and Danny and the townspeople are still faced with living in a tent uh, because their homes were taken away by the, uh, by the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would you like to expound on, um, he mentions Hillard, another miner that Hillard, had yes. stopped. And Hillard was his best friend. And they, they clowned around together. They worked in the mines together and um, they, they, were, they were best friends. And uh, um, they, for some reason, which still we would want to develop, were stealing some of the coal or taking some of the coal that really belonged to the, to the, to the, to the company. And um, they were caught uh, or Hillard was caught. And Danny was behind one of the boxcars while this was transpiring and they tried to get names out of Hillard of who the, uh, the union uprisers were and he would not tell them anything and they threatened him and, and beat him. And finally, uh, he offered five names and they killed him anyway. Yeah. Uh, and Danny witnessed this, which is why he yeah. is so bitter here at the, at, at the end. It was um, yeah. the only son of, of, of a, another character in this that you will see when you watch it. Yeah. And, and Danny is at it at this point. Um, uh, because he watched his son, his, his friend killed uh, for, for really for no, no reason. And he wants, he wants revenge at this point. Um, there's another scene in this, a graveyard scene, where Danny makes comments that uh, are out of character for uh, a preacher uh, that you would see when you watch the movie. Yeah, very true. And this is where I was discovered that Lively was a spy because uh, Danny saw him in that group. Yes. Talking and they finally, so he was the one that 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 discovered uh, Lively being the spy. And um, interestingly, Hillard, when when he was asked to give five names, he gave them five names. But after they killed him, anyway, the, 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 the Lively said, you know, those names are useless. Those were five miners that died years ago. Right. The, so the names were just he he didn't give yeah, anyone up. He didn't give anybody up. You know, so he, in the end, he, they, they didn't get what they, and he died needlessly. And um, there's also a scene here I just want to mention that, you know, with Danny, you know, at, at the end of the movie, there, there's, a, there's a gunfight and between, you know, the townspeople and, as Howard said, the enforcers from the mining company. And there's probably about a, about a dozen of them that come, on the, that come to the town at the end, I'm assuming. Yes. You know, so you have about, you know, two dozen people that are, that are fighting against each other. And then actually Danny takes up arms and I won't, I won't give it away, but then Danny uh, confronts one of the, um, one of the miners at gunpoint. And yeah. what happens is, is very telling. Um, but, but you'll have to watch the movie to, to see that. Um, and uh, I just think, again, look at the arc of, of his character. He starts out as this, you know, good natured, you know, caring, hardworking, you know, promising preacher, a young man, and look at what, where it's come to. He's never handled a gun, I'm sure, really in, in his life in terms of to kill human beings. Right. You now, aside from hunting in the woods, but um, it, it's, it's so against his gentle nature, as I see this character. But when you get pushed into a corner and you're, you're taking beatings and you're, you're taking abuse, you know, you defend yourself, you, you fight back. And they feel they've been cornered. Everything's been stripped away from them. Like you said, what more can they lose? You know? And again, a conflict, a conflict within Danny of, of being a preacher and being a pacifist versus 
using the weapon. Um, yes. He's conflicted with that also. And again, to try to stay as best as I can away from spoiler, you'll see it in the movie, how that's handled uh, yep. as, as, towards the end of the movie. Um, but he's conflicted with that. Uh, the only one that seems to have held his ground is Joe uh, throughout the film. Um, he did not waver on on what he yeah. came to do and, and the way he, you know, the way he felt. He, he, he did not crack under pressure. No, no, and and he holds his his views uh, even um, when 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 the gun battle ensues, and that's again something that that you need to to watch. Um, so we, we took, I think, very um, you know, meaningful you know scenes that you know that that were pregnant with with with, with so much content that really gave a, a good bird's eye view in terms of you know the themes of the movie and where the characters go. Um, there, there again, there's a, there's a very uh, dramatic climactic ending that of course you need to see and all again all the other dynamics of the characters within this um i hardly recommend uh the audience to to, to check out this film uh, it is available on youtube uh if once you find the right site and i think it's one of those hidden gems like even though it came out in 87 i believe that's that's right Howard, yes. 87 yeah. and, um you don't hear a lot about it but it's just one of those you know i think just really excellent films it just tells a good story and it tells um, a good story and it gives us uh, a look at, uh, at our country a part of our country that um where people were proud uh, had dignity worked hard and were not looking for trouble they just wanted to be left to their own lives um but they had to respond to um the company as as, as they're called and to external forces and to, to make their lives better. Because like we said, um, here they are in a tent yeah. um, because things were taken away from them. I, 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 this is not mine. I, again, I, I like to look for things outside of what I'm thinking just to make sure that I'm on the right path. And um, I, I found a quote that kind of sums up this, uh, what we've seen. And it is, quote, Mate Juan is an earnest and sympathetic look at both the universal tragedy of the exploitation exploitation of workers and the specific tragedy of the struggle of the Maitwan townspeople to find some dignity in a harsh existence, end of quote. Um, if I could say it better, I would. Uh, that's what we witnessed in, in the scenes that you've seen. And it's not just in West Virginia, it's in other places where people fight, for, proud people fight for dignity and and, and, yes. and a, a place in society and just to be treated fairly, just yes. treated fairly and um, not asking for a handout as big as, as Fuclo said at the beginning, he came there to work. He didn't, he wasn't looking for a handout yeah. uh, neither with the Italian um, miners either. So it's really yeah. a, um, just a, an, an essay on, on how people should be treated and what we witnessed in this is as how they shouldn't be and, and, and the fight to try to correct it. Yeah, um, the fight continues. Um, there are more mate ones, unfortunately, all over. Um, and maybe the tactics, you know, are, aren't as, you know, visceral and, and combative, you know, in terms of what happened here uh, in West Virginia in 1920. But, but the emotions, the, 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 the volatility of, of and, and protests and everything and, and, and the... Uh, the despair, the anger, the, the suffering, it's all still real, you know? And this country has gotten so much more populated 
in the past 80 years, um, uh, 100 years, excuse me, what am I saying? My math is off, you know, since this, uh, this occurred. Um, and our country is so much more homogeneous, you know, more of a melting pot of cultures and, and traditions. And America is, is, is grappling with that more than ever. More than ever. Um, and where do we find ourselves? Uh, here it is, you know, this is being taped in, in, in August of 2020. We have a, a presidential election that has polarized the country in so many ways. Um, and people, I'm sure, will have a lot to weigh in on, on that. But we all can agree that what do people really all want, you know, no matter where uh, they come from? They want education. They want to feed their families. They want jobs. They want, as you said, dignity. You know, right. to, to live their live their lives, and um, I don't really believe people want to kill each other. I don't really believe people truly want to. You know, how I say this, I don't sound too naive, but uh, I just think it's the way we. There's different strong convictions of how we arrive at that. And when you're when you're a people that a person that comes from a generation of more privilege, uh, as opposed to a person that that comes from a, um, such you know, impoverished conditions, how do you get to that same place? You know, and I think that's been a, just a lifelong challenge, struggle. Go ahead, please. Oh, Kenahan made a quote in the in the film. Um, he said, "Sometimes you have to bend so you don't break," and that's what as a society today, they had to do it then and we had to do it, it needs to be done now. Be flexible, what is bending? Be flexible, um, be communicative, be open-minded, listen, understand. Mm. And if you don't, we don't, we will break. So it's, it's, it's necessary to- um, You know, that's, a, that's a good point. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And the biggest thing that I just, grabbing is, is listening. I think it's so hard for, for people, even if I myself, even to listen to some of the most harsh vitriolic tirades that people have concerning political views. I, and I don't care what side you're on, you know, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, you know, um, our whole system of government needs to really be revitalized in my own personal opinion. But, um, but to really ask you know whether either side your 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 vantage point is what are you afraid of what do you really feel that you're not going to get or what do you feel you're going to be deprived of you know and i think whatever side you may be on i think they just have a different pers perspective on what determines value you know what is value and, and or how is that determined and and uh, who has more of that who has less and why and is there, is it too naive, but is there a way that we could hopefully come to where you can level the playing field and have people really listen and, and air their grievances without just cursing and name calling and, and vulgar accusations and, and hear the other side and find what the common denominators are. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, um, but um, again, I, I really get it take my hat off again to uh, to this another great movie um is there anything else that you'd like to to add in closing about uh mate one no i i i think we covered it i would just urge you to try to watch it it's available on 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 youtube Absolutely. uh and just uh and just shut yourself down 
for an hour and a half and just watch it and, and listen to every word. And uh, then you'll want to watch it again to pick up more. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, great. Thank you for, for joining us. Again, my name is Christopher Rawlings, uh, my partner, Howard Diamond. Again, we're actors with uh, Open Door Productions, a film and theater production company in New Jersey. And we hope to be um, bringing some more movies that matter your way in, in the near future. Uh, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.